Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! The in-laws. Do you, listener, take you, spoiler-filled film conversation, hooray, to be your lawful wedded podcast for the next no. hour and a bit? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get to the good bit. Do you podcast take listener? Or they have we've had an objection now. So what do they do in an objection? I know in the graduate they just run away on a bus, but if someone objects, objects, do you have like a little wedding court session where people decide whether the wedding can happen? I guess it depends on your objection. If it's she's a fucking bitch. <laughs> if it's yeah. your this person's already married to me, then they definitely then that would stop the wedding, I would assume. Oh, so if you've got like a hard... Stop! This succubus is already married. Married to my brother, John. <laughs> John, speak up now. Yes, that's right. The succubus is married to me. <laughs> oh, the priest just goes, sorry. Bye. <laughs> and he disappears. Mm. Or Rabbi. Or, you know... Elvis, or whoever else is back. Anyway, this is a tangent too far. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm Richard, and also on the podcast is Abby. It's nice when you completely fall off very early on. Hello. <laughs> I also, I do, I've done retrieving the podcast and doing, oh, we could retake that opening and I could just come in and say hello, etc. But we're not going to. Fuck off. I'm done <laughs> trying. <laughs> and and also and also on the podcast is Anthony. Well, it's not the weirdest tangent we've been on before starting a podcast. Hello. Oh, no. All the longest has been longer. Yeah, we're all gathered here today for the formal uh, review. No, and we are going to talk about a film, and that film is The In-Laws. Um, I picked it. A uh, little funny story, guys. But when I when I decided to pick this film for the podcast, right? <laughs> I I sat down with Abby and I said, "Hey, we should watch that Paulie Shaw film." Uh, that film, of course, was Son-in-Law. <laughs> I went to click on the old Son-in-Law file. Of course, I didn't. I clicked on the In-Laws because I only see two words and think, "Oh, that's enough words for me." <laughs> Clickety click. <laughs> it's got in and law in it. <laughs> Done. So we ended up watching this film instead, and I went. I'm glad we watched this, and to this day, <laughs> we still haven't watched the Pauly Shaw film, Son-in-Law, and I've no <laughs> no opinion on it. But, uh, yeah, that's how that's my hilarious story of why I decided to watch The In-Laws. I guess also, I like Peter Falk and Alan Arkin, and that's why I originally had the film downloaded, but, you know, that's more boring, isn't it? Yes. So, Abby, that's sort of why you watched this film, right? Yeah, my inept ability to my in my inability to click on the right file on the computer, and your ability to not question it once it starts going. Well, I was more like, "Who's in this?" Peter Falk and Alan Arkin. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, once it gets going, you're like, "I'm pretty sure this is not the '90s, guys." Um, so you're Abby. Would you say you're also Peter? Peter so like Peter Falk, obviously, famously played Columbo. But he's also, you know, he's done his fair share of other roles. If, you know, when he's not narrating, uh, what is it, The Princess Bride, 
he sometimes hangs around with uh, that Cassavetes bloke, is that him? John Cassavetes? He's in a load of pretentious fucking movies where middle-aged men get drunk. I can't remember. Uh, anyway. I haven't seen that much of him. So I was a bit like, well, let's see him in something, shall we? Other than Columbo, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, Columbo's one of the great detectives. It's nice because it's, Columbo always takes down rich toffs who are trying to get away with crimes. Whereas if he was in, like, in the city Detroit, uh, you know, solving gangbanging murders, you'd feel a little less, like, you know, invested in taking down... Like, but people commit a murder, it's always terrible, but rich people getting it is extra fun for us plebs, you know? And to see him fucking with people. Yeah, that's fun. the thing, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, the whole keeping them on the... Like, behaving like a schlub, acting like an ignorant buffoon, and then being like, one more thing, and then uh, giving them just enough rope, and it? it's very satisfying. Hmm. So you hadn't seen much Peter Falk. And Alan Arkin, where were you with him? Um, seen bits and pieces, mostly when he was an older man. So it was nice mm. to see him a bit younger. Yeah, I think my favourite film of him young is uh, Catch-22, where he's the protagonist in that. Oh, yeah. You serious? Oh, yeah. Thinking about that, yeah, I saw Catch-22, nothing until he was about 70 years old. And then you saw yeah, Little, Miss Sun- <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine, basically. Yeah. <laughs> He, yeah, he's uh, he's done some piss poor comedies uh, in the eighties a lot or the seventies even. Hmm, let me think now. There's been a lot of comedies that look shit that I haven't actually seen, and there's been a few comedies later on in his career. Was like, oh, we're old men and we're gonna rob someone. It's like, oh god, like. So he he's done crap, but I usually like him. I think there's something very endearing about him. There is there is one film that. Um, I could uh, I just hear his voice, and I I can only think of Schmendrick from the Last Unicorn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a film we have uh, discussed on the podcast previously. If you want to watch, uh, or yeah. if you want to listen to that, uh, uh, we've got the Last Schmendrick. Unicorn. Because <laughs> that would have been that would be the first time I would have um, heard his voice or like known who he was. So it's just constantly every time I hear it now. All the way during this film, I was just like kind of like giggling to myself, just like uh, Schmendrick, <laughs> the Jew Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yeah, that's a good. That, that was a good. I did think of it once when we were watching the film, but then mainly I mean, we discovered this, didn't we, Abby, from watching this film? That Alan Arkin just spends the whole time shouting whatever Peter Falk has just said back at him as a question. Like, literally every line is just, what do you mean you're in the CIA? What do you mean we're getting on a plane? <laughs> so it's literally just wall-to-wall Alan Arkin just shouting questions and being irate in his, you know, flabbergasted, uh, I guess in this case, dentisty world. Is, is being anyway. That, I guess that's what the film's about. It's about a dentist having his life ruined by an enigmatic dickhead. when you put it like that this could be so many films (laughs) well it it can also be the whole nine yards which was a dentist having his life ruined in that case by Bruce Willis as some kind of gangster hey it's Tony Tulips Um, anyway Anthony had you I mean you hadn't come across this film before right 
Not this one, but I was um, I was slightly more aware of uh, another film called The In-Laws, which is apparently a remake of this film. Hmm. Um, yeah, don't get it confused, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, it's from 2000 and something, I'm not sure. But it's got um, Michael Douglas in it. And I, I never saw it, but I always like saw the trailers and like the posters, and it was always like a thing in the back of my mind. Um, and I didn't piece these two together, you know. It's a fairly, it felt like a fairly stock title, if you know what I mean. It like does a lot feel, of films could yeah. be called this, but not necessarily be about the same thing. It, it's very much um, a big box comedy name, isn't it? Like, oh, family comedy mm. time, yeah. So I didn't really know anything about it other from the trailer, and it looked madcap and slightly weird, a bit action-packed. So, yeah, and, you know, like I said, it's Peter Falk. And Alan Arkin. And I know Peter Falk, obviously mainly from Columbo, but I think everything else I've seen him in has been comedic, so it wasn't surprising that he'd be good in this. Yeah, um, I think even in his more serious films, he brings a slightly comic attitude to it. Not overtly, but uh, yeah, he's more of a... You know, charismatic comedy actor than he is a serious actor. But other than that, uh, I was coming in pretty blind to this. Yeah, it's good, it's a good job you mentioned uh, the other film because for once we do need to clarify what the film is because you could have just watched. You got oh they're doing the in laws. I've seen that and then oh you might not have. It could be the wrong one. So uh, obviously it's the one with Peter Falcon and uh, Arkin in. But we should probably give the rest of the details. Which we usually do before this moment, but fuck it, yay. <laughs> okay. You're not giving two fucks today, are you? <laughs> <clears throat> no. Well then. Uh, so, The In Laws. Uh, it's from 1979, not from the 2000s. Uh, and it's an action comedy uh, directed by Arthur Hiller and written by Andrew Bergman. It stars Alan Arkin and Peter Falk. Um, as a mild-mannered dentist and a businessman come criminal come CIA operative, uh, respectively, um, who are the fathers of, the, of their children who are getting married, hence the in-laws. But they're not. Um, it, it always sounds weird when you say their children are getting married because that sounds incestuous, but obviously from different families. Don't don't yes. don't know if I needed to clarify. <laughs> And just generally, Peter Falk gets Alan Arkin into a lot of trouble and hijinks. Yeah. Like you say, uh, Peter Falk is ambiguous at the start. He is both presented as a businessman uh, to his fa- to the family, he's the other half of his, fa- his future family, I guess. Um, but he possibly works for the CIA. He could actually be a criminal. But at the start, the very, very start, uh, we actually have a heist. Uh, proper, like almost like it's a straightforward crime film. We get quite a good heist, I thought, with all the guys. And it's one of the few movies that features a heist where none of the criminals are caught out or later regret it or go to jail or get murdered. It's just a successful heist. And then, weirdly, we never see any of those people again. Mm hmm. Is it's it? unprecedented, I'd say. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the most successful movie heist ever because they get what they want and did it in a successful and imaginative way. 
And, like, I'll I'll give it points because it's a comedy. Um, it was a bit ridiculous though. <laughs> you thought you didn't like it, like like uh... if like no, I liked it, but I was just thinking like, well, that didn't make much sense. Well, essentially, why did why did they have to like lift it into a secondary area out of the way? So. Could have just done it where they were because they already were out the way. They'd already been blocked off by like a giant truck. Yeah, but like it, when they stop the money truck uh, by you know the classic block the road with a car thing, they are in the street, so pedestrians could see something reported to the police faster response time. The thing I agree is weird. I don't mind that a big magnet comes, drops on a money van, pulls them into a, a, a the yard next to the road, and then some bank robbers basically in kind of brown bulletproof bulletproof type masks all weld up the guards in the front door and then uh like burn through the back door to get at what they're after and it is a oh, bit that's what they were doing you didn't get I it. thought I thought they were trying to cut open the doors for the guards as well and I was like why are you doing that that's just going to cause you problems but now that you say they were welding it it's like okay that makes more sense yeah they're locking them in but then mm. if you're the security guard you just kick the door while they're trying to weld it and it wouldn't work would it or, or as you're being lifted into the air you might consider getting out or doing anything or shooting the guy in the magnetising crane or I, I don't know like you are a bit oh, we're going up what's happening so you're panicked but you're meant to be security guards but they, you know they weld them in and they cut open the back, and then they get, uh, they're a bit like, oh shit, it's just money. And then we find out that they're actually after, um, what's it called? Like, um, what is the word for it? Like, the thing that the money gets printed from. Oh, the plate. Plate, yeah. Just a, not a dinner plate, so I couldn't think, that word didn't, like a brick. You know, a brick with markings on. <laughs> but yeah, the money plates, they're for whatever denomination of dollars mm. they're after. And so you're like, oh, they're not after money. What are they after? Yeah, they, you know, they take this uh, thing and they basically climb back out and split up and climb back out of the yard, leaving these security idiots. And then one of the, one of the guys, just like uh, bloke in a suit with a woolly hat and hat on and the brown mask, travels through a big warehouse for a while while we get the credits, essentially. <laughs> Yes, you're just like climbing stairs for what felt like an eternity. <laughs> and it's right nearby, so he just takes it to a rooftop where Peter Falk is mysteriously waiting. And then they have a quite pleasant back and forth conversation as if they are criminals who know each other. And essentially it's like, uh, you know, you need to pay for this. Uh, for whoever you're paying, you need to pay sooner rather than later, like tomorrow or whatever. And uh, it's this much money, you know. Basically, they're expecting to have done this deal, and um, Peter Fox a bit. Oh shit! I have to pay sooner than I was expecting. Yada yada. Um, yeah, but it, like it's a whole like there we go. Nice, reasonable criminals succeed at what they're doing, and then we find out that Peter Falk is at least up to no good in some way and has some bigger scheme going on. Um, before we establish this idea of in-laws, isn't it? Hmm. I think maybe my problem with the scene was it hadn't quite established its tone yet. So you don't, you don't know that it's going to be like a, an all-out kind of wacky comedy um, from the beginning. Because it's, it's played fairly straight. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why I had a problem with it at the time. It's more intriguing but, than it is. It's not hilarious, isn't it? Mm. 
but in in the context having seen the rest of the film you know it it it, it fits yeah, I think uh, I, well, I liked it. I think it was a very serviceable opening to any sort of crime heist movie. It would be the first segment of like establishing, like like something like the Italian Job, where you might establish a crime before doing a big one. I don't know, like uh, you know, whatever. Abby, we were right with this. I thought it was cool, like as, as opening sequence goes. Yeah, it was my only issue is that they didn't really set up the wacky tone that would follow. Yeah, it was, yeah. But then, it, it's only a quick bit, isn't it? It's pre-credits, mm. really, so it's, you know, it's not a big problem. <clears throat> no, it was fine. The first... No, like you said, it's, you know, fairly unique. Yeah, it's, I haven't seen, and, uh, you know. You know, and then having seen um, some of the scenes later on, like the bit where he drives into, like, an, a bloody GTA automatic car spraying bit you know in, in you know when you compare it to that that tone where it's like okay that doesn't make any sense but it's kind of funny mm-hmm. i suppose you know you, you reply that apply that to like this opening scene and yes fine. when when you go like oh we I mean, like our kid has caused to get a duck away from the police and he literally goes into like a kind of gta pain spray and gets the uh yellow and red flames instantly put on his car and mm. is a bit miffed um it is. It is like well, that's stupid, and like airplane or something. You know, it's like a dopey quick joke. And then yeah, this, this, this again, it still sort of fits in. The, it's the first mission in GTA vibe to it. Kind it's, it's got that. It could easily slot into that slightly satirical world of crime and nonsense. Um, blokes chasing you in cars that can't shoot and crashes and you know all that shit. Um, but you know. Uh, but the film uh, then get on with uh, setting up this wedding that we're not at all invested in or care about, with two people who we don't know or like their characters are man and girl, <laughs> or man and woman I guess, and they are you know generic American young people who have a family, and are middle class ish I guess, and it's basically it's the first time Alan Arkin who's a dentist. I don't think we know what his wife does, do we? I think she's just a housewife. But it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. The rest of the family aren't a big deal. They're just there to give it a, an excuse to have these two uh, main actors go up against each other. But, you know, it's it's the... F- they're meeting... Oh, no, we get a whole... We, get, we establish Alan Arkin as a dentist, because he's doing dentist with a guy... He's doing dental work on a guy who's objecting and pushing him away and like, oh, you're not pulling my tooth. And he gets like a phone call, Alan Arkin does. And then the guy is like, I pulled my tooth while you were waiting. That um, fucking guy. He's <laughs> like, you're still getting billed, bit. I don't know why you came in. What the fuck did he pull out his own tooth without a tiny even speck of blood anywhere? No. Also, if your tooth is rotten and needs to be pulled, right? And you're worried the dentist is going to hurt you. How would you do it silently while he's on the phone? <laughs> like, it can't be even... You know, it's not fucking hook duck is it? <laughs> You're right, Abby, you should be in height. But, you know, he's... Uh, he's a dentist, there you go. And then it's straight on with the thing of... Okay, let's meet this mysterious businessman figure that we... Oh, but oh, that, that's it. The guy gives him the advice of, oh, you haven't met the father-in-law... 
well, you should. You shouldn't call the mar- marriage off of your child of your child because the acorn. Yeah, if you've got to see the tree before you see the acorn or something, some fucking tree metaphor about like father like son, isn't it? And mm. then that puts the seed of doubt or the acorn of doubt in Arkin's mind, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh shit, I better meet this mysterious businessman who is the my new sort of." Are you related to your? You're not related technically to. You're they your family, innit? But you're you're not. He's not your father or brother-in-law, is he? He's your nothing-in-law. Yeah, I don't think there's like an official title. It's just like the joining of two families. It's the person who might rival you for who gets to decide who carves the turkey on Thanksgiving or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the families are going to meet properly for the first time. And then it starts to annoy me straight away because Peter Falk's like, they come in, it's like, oh, you're usual. Oh, hi, oh, blah, 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 excuses, sit down, oh, oh, they're running late, it doesn't matter, blah, 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 hello, hello, hello. And then they're talking around the dinner table and then Peter Falk is like, I'm going to make shit up randomly (laughs) about, Mm -hmm. I was just, (laughs) it was in like Guatemala or somewhere and there were these giant... Wait, the Guatemala jungle story, giant flies... With beaks that carried off children, and there's nothing you could do about it because they're protected and by Under the, the avocado convention. No, it was the it, it, come on, Abby. The the convention was more developed than that. It was the Guatemala. Uh, it was the guacamole. 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 Um, oh God, I can't even remember this made-up red tape now. <clears throat> but it was just like I mean, and Alan Arkin's like flies. Are you sure you mean flies? And it's like yes. Of course, are you sure? Like, of course not. What? How? What kind of rube for a second is like? Oh yeah, giant flies carrying children off. Like it's fucking weird, some weird jungle that Roald Dahl has made up. Like it's a weird so conceit odd. of this film that they're trying to make. Like you don't know if he's completely insane or not. Mm. When you kind of need to know. Yeah, like the premise of this film is: is Peter Falk a criminal or is he a spy? essentially, and it kind of flip-flops your doubt throughout the film. And, but how does this fly shit, like, I'm a clear idiot liar, who makes up complete nonsense, like, how does that play? Like, it's not like, you know, like, when he goes, to, he asks if he can make a business call on a disc, like, on a, on a phone in the house that isn't, like, in, you know, within your shot of everyone. And you go, oh, that's a slightly mysterious thing a criminal might do, or it might be something a spy might do, or... And there's a bit of a, like, you know, the, the son sort of makes fun of him, and then he has a, a not a, quite aggressive argument with his son at the dinner table. And you go, what the fuck? It becomes, like, tense then. It's like, oh, now we're on to the, oh, is he a criminal or is he to be trusted? That makes sense. But this fly shit is bizarre. <laughs> like, and I get it's meant to be funny, but it's like... What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Why would you even say that shit? You could make up something plausible. I don't, I don't know. So stupid. I don't know. But uh, like no one else is questioning it. Like how Lark is like, oh, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. You don't have to watch fucking Nat Geo to realise he's talking out of his ass. And all the other family are like, just leave it, Dad. It's fine. <laughs> he obviously has been away for years with giant flies that kidnap children. I don't know. So it annoyed me at that point, but uh, it got it got me back on side. Just after the fact that he makes this phone call where he's like doing his business with his whoever's buying his uh, money plate thing, 
And he's like, I kept one of the money plates that I'm selling to you back, so that in case you don't pull some shit on the deal and I don't get paid or whatever, or you don't get paid or whatever he fucking wants isn't, doesn't go to plan. And he's like, I'll just hide it in this broken vent in there in this in my like soon to be family's house. Uh, then I'll just take it'll be fine. I'll just leave this important thing in someone else's basement. I can't even get in here easily without making excuses. I'll just tape it up in this vent randomly. That'll be safe, right? Safer than having it on me, yeah. What was he thinking? Hijinks. This'll come back to bite me in the ass later. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of convenient that it did come up again because it could have easily if he'd have chucked it away in the basement it might not have been found again because it's only because I'm inept fucking uh, delivery bloke like I'll just headbutt this pipe oh shit something fell out I, I quite enjoyed this the, during the film we Peter Falk and Alan Arkin are dicking around in their first sort of machinations of the adventure and then meanwhile back at the house the Alan Arkin's wife has stumbled across they, like the, him. She's having a delivery for the wedding, and they find the money plate, and she just takes it to the bank, and her daughter's there, and she's just patiently waiting in the bank as she like says to the teller, like, oh, "What's there? I found this in my house. Do you know what it is?" And like, "Oh God, it's like some you know hot item that's been in the news and stuff." And they're just standing patiently in the bank, about to be arrested. You're like, "Oh, this is quite good. This this woman going to go to jail or what? What's happening?" What did you guys make of this? Because it's the first. Non zany is something going to go wrong, bit isn't it? Of drama, mm. it's it's a weird one because it doesn't really go anywhere. I felt that was a like shame it, in a way, yeah. Like you felt like they had to retrieve it somehow, um, but they never do, it's just there to kind of like get the cops on their trail, yeah. Because uh, there's lots of times this movie provides an out for the zany adventure to come to a, an end because it, it allows for situations to happen where, oh, well, this would get wrapped up. Now that the CIA know what's going on or they realise that the housewife is a legitimate person and not lying, like there's lots of opportunities for this to come to an abrupt end and Alan Arkin no longer to be forced to go along with everything. And it's a, it's like once the wife explains herself, okay, she might be thought of, they might investigate her or think this dentist is up to something. But then, you know, it, all, all it takes is a quick explanation and it's like, oh, I see, yes. <laughs> We've got the real man now who we, who we need to catch. I don't know. It, there was lots of times where I felt like, even when Alan Arkin was getting, like, he was getting the opportunity to stay put in one of the hotels later on, I was like, oh, this, yes, he's made a, he's articulated himself correctly, Explained that he's not going to go on with it, that he's not going to be a hostage to this maniac anymore, and he's staying put. Good. There were lots of times where it almost went, oh, and the film ended sensibly for once, and then of course it doesn't. But I felt they were, I, I don't know, I felt like we could have gone a different route where go less zany and make it more of this, oh my god, we have this spy come mafia guy in the, in, in the family, and we never know whether to trust him. It could have got all thrillery and serious, I reckon, at the mm. early bits. I don't know. I just I liked I liked the mum and I would have happily had her more embroiled in it, but she's just once the CIA are in her house, it only goes wrong because Alan Arkin thinks they're after him and drives away again, isn't he? Gets them all chasing him for the bank thing. What did she say about him? Uh, Sheldon's wife. The daughter says, 
oh, but you know who's in the basement? And then the mum goes, oh, Vince, that little bastard's got Shelley into trouble. Like, oh, well, you turned on a dime. Fuck. Yeah, fuck this Vince father-in-law guy prick. Clearly up to something. He was, I mean, he was behaving like a dickhead at the first meeting. But the the real the real like uh, start for Peter Falk and Alan Arkin's adventure is not this thing in the basement that's come to light, this money uh, money plate or whatever. It's actually the fact mm. that Peter Falk can't get into his apartment building because whoever the, the the men who he hasn't paid yet are after him. Is it or some henchman for some non seen crime lord are there? Is it? Who were yeah. they actually? Yeah, we don't know who they were attached to, but again, competent men. They saw um, Shelley go in all nervous and shit, and then they looked to see which floor he went on to, and then they were like, yep, him, we're after him. Yeah, because people were good at their job in this. I felt like the taxi driver that took uh, Vince or Peter Falk or whatever to, was quite obliging as well, because <laughs> he's like, take me to my apartment. Oh, I can't go in. I thought you said here. Da, da, da. And then he's like having a cup of coffee and having a chat with him, like in a diner. It's like this nice cabbie we get to meet. That mm. There's no bearing on the story whatsoever. They have that completely pointless conversation about the price is right. What's <laughs> like? Oh, you've never oh, yeah. heard of the, You've never heard. He doesn't like Peter Falk doesn't know the rules of price is right. And the cabbie's like, you don't. You haven't seen it. I'm, like, oh, I'm away a lot. And you go, okay. This <laughs> is just like. I, I get, bad. But I think it's a backdrop because Alan Arkin. Uh, is forced to, not forced, is asked, oh, it's the, actually, it's one of the worst seeds. It's the most uncomfortable situation because, like, your new, sort of, the the father of the the groom or the bride, the, the groom, turns up while you're doing some old lady's uh, teeth and you've got a teeth that are being set in something. And then this guy just turns up, uh, jumps the queue and is like, hi. And Alan Arkin's trying to be polite and just, like, Oh, hi, Vince. Yeah. So, do you want something? Oh, just just pop it around at your busy dentists. And I have no real agenda until I eventually do. Like, it takes quite a while to, to for uh, Vince to chirp up with... I don't wanna, don't, like, he does the whole Columbo thing of, it's, if it's no trouble, I really, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, I'm just a feckless idiot. But then he's like, I gotta, gotta, need you to do a favour, isn't it? I need you, for some reason, to go... Into break into a vault in my apartment, <laughs> and it's just and Alan is like, no, well, how do you really need it? And it's like, don't don't do this. You're in, you're a you're in work. B you got loads of people queuing. C the woman's literally having a teeth set. It doesn't matter. This guy's been a complete asshole, right? <laughs> you know, there's no way he does this favor. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? I know it's socially uncomfortable. But uh, Peter Falk even gives him the way out of like, oh, if it's no trouble. Only if it's no trouble, man. It's like, well, actually, it is trouble. <laughs> so fuck you. Goodbye. Did you guys buy that Alan Arkin's character would like do this favour? After all that business with the awkward, uncomfortable, my new relative has come to work day. Thing. But he did give an example. When Peter Falk said that those guys were competitors and they were looking for his competitive edge. Alan Arkin did, sorry, Shelley, did name drop something, so it's not an unprecedented thing. But it did do seem weird to me that 
It seemed weird to me that they decided to put the scene at 9am so that he interrupts him at the dentist because it would have worked just as well if it was lunchtime and he'd said, well, I thought we might take an early lunch and then he could still go and everything would have panned out the same. I don't know why they made it extra weird. I think because they wanted to come back to a woman who'd been waiting patiently with her teeth in like that special like mold material so there's like oh you've been here all this time while i've been you know running running down ladders and getting shot at in the street and you're still here you know it's not funny if he just goes back to his sandwich is it i suppose were you buying I, any of this sorry i can't yeah i do kind of buy it only because i feel like i've been in that situation so many times where someone just comes up and is like, oh, could you spare, like, you know, five, just five minutes. It's something, I just need a hand with this. And it's like, okay, five minutes, fine. And then that five minutes turns out to be, like, bloody plastering a ceiling or something. It's like, oh, oh my God, what have I got myself into? Do I mention we have to do a three-hour drive to Scotland first? (laughs) (laughs) Then the five minutes begins. Yeah, you're right, and I think even being British helps you go, well, maybe mm-hmm. you want to get in suite with your brother-in-law, that, not brother-in-law, like your non God, get in with your new, I'll say in-law just because that's what the film is, but it is just get cushy with a new family member, and maybe, you know, you can like, complain endlessly to your wife about him then, so... um but yeah, I mean, he doesn't explain himself. He's just doing a favour, and then he's told, like, once they're in the cab, going to the apartment, essentially, can you pop in? There's some people there, like you said, Abby, and just go get my empty my safe out or whatever. Here's the combination. And then, yeah, some professional people scoping it out realise they could have stopped on arc and getting in and think he's nervous, so they check they check up on him, and then indeed, you know, chase him down and shoot at him and go down a like a fire escape and. Like, they're actually firing guns in... I know New York is a pretty tough place. There used to have been a crime in that. But he's, they're firing guns in the middle of the street and no one, none of the pedestrians bat a fucking eyelid, do they? <laughs> oh, isn't it New York? Yeah, but still, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, say I'm fucking walking here or something. Throw a cup of coffee. Don't be like, oh, again with this. Every other day someone's firing a gun at people in the street. Just walk around. Rock around the bullets. I don't know. But I think that's why the cabbie is having this chat about the price is right, is to provide... Like they, You can see out the back of the cafe that Alan Ark is like running around the cab and getting shot at and in danger. And then the cabbie and Peter Falk can be like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Better deal with this. Yeah. So I think it's literally to... The mundanity of the ease of which Peter Falk is putting up with this madness contrasts with Alan Arkin's nervous dentist under gunfire thing, isn't it, you know? Mm. Mm. I did enjoy the little chase scene. I liked, like, Alan Arkin's just, like, physical comedy while he's, like, running away, clutching the bag. Yeah, just have a funny run in it. I'll give him that much. (laughs) And, like, running around the car, like, trying to dodge the gun. I think the best uh, bullet flying dodging is the bit later on with at the airport and there's three oh, yeah. <laughs> three inept snipers and then him and Peter Falk are trying to run to like a car to escape but he's like 
Serpentine! Serpentine! Run Serpentine! <laughs> and Alaraki just runs around, not even in the Serpentine manner, just in kind of figurative rates, and just like a little, like, slightly hurried old Jew man. <laughs> it's so funny. And so stupid. But that 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 tops this bit of... Because like, this is quite exciting, in a way. You know, wasn't quite a French connection, but, uh, you know, <laughs> there's something... How do we get from you've now see <laughs> now that I've endangered you back to the dentist place? How does he? How do we go from Peter Falk actually getting the favors to continue? Um, there was uh, there was a scene where they go back to the dentist. Oh yeah, he he tells uh, Shelley about the plates and that he's involved in like this massive international thing, so he kind of has to stick with him to be able to not be arrested you're in trouble if you don't cooperate with me because you look like a criminal is it and then alan arkin makes quite a convincing argument for why that wouldn't be the case because he could literally just explain Mm. it and his explanation would be fine i don't know there's a lot of back there's actually there's one of the sort of quite funny scenes in it uh alan arkin and peter falk are in the cafe or shelly and vince if you prefer abby uh, in a cafe, and they're hashing out, you know, the explanation. Yeah, I'm in the CIA. Yada yada. This is the situation. This is what I'm doing. Oh, that's fine then. No, it isn't fine. I'm doing it illegally. Oh, wait. What do you mean you're doing it illegally? You know, they have a whole like. Mm. Peter Falk is essentially in the CIA. He says, but he's doing something to sort of save the day. But it's not. He's on gone the books. off script. Yeah, he's yeah. like. But it means that uh, they have this really controversial and, you know, you know, CIA conspiracy violence and crime conversation loudly in the middle of a cafe while shouting at each other. <laughs> and they kind of wander around a little bit and, like, literally, it's just these two idiots shouting at each other. It's quite good. Like, the two of them just arguing loudly in a cafe uh, is just kind of funny. And it goes on for quite a while and it establishes that arcing thing of just shouting the questions back at him, like completely bamboozled and annoyed. I think that's a good way to dump a lot of exposition and to move on to do it in a funny way. So I did. I was kind of rooting for the film at this point. My my opinions do change as it goes on, but I, I think overall it was sort of it kept me amused. I, you know, generally. But yeah, I, yeah, I guess. So, but I still don't like it explains everything, and then it's like you. He tries to drive home, but then the CIA are after him, so he drives to the get his car sprayed for that joke we've already talked about. And then it's like he phones Peter Falk up, does he? And then says, "Oh shit, what's going on?" Is that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then there's the bit with like with um, what does he say? Uh, like there are flames all over my car, flames. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that um, he, he there's like a young kid who sprayed the car, and the kid is like, oh, you could just pay me, not my dad. Great, it's thirty dollars or whatever. And then and then Peter Alkin, Peter Alkin, Jesus, Alan Alkin gives him the money, and then what's the kid say? And he just like shouts at him because he's just fucked off. I can't even remember something fairly innocuous, and he just suddenly he's angry now. Oh no, he got out of the car and went. Do you have a phone? What? Do you have a phone? <laughs> yeah, fairness. That was good. That was probably one of my favourite bits. But yeah, I think they... 
I think the th- the idea is Vince wants him to go to some sort of airport mm. to avoid any danger or life threatening th- things going on further. And he says it's one place, and then they like it's in the air that they they, they get in this plane, and there's like uh, two Chinese blokes who are the pilots, and uh, you get the in-flight safety demonstration in Chinese, in Mandarin or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What's the so, name of that guy? Oh, um, James Wong. Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the earliest things I've seen James Wong in, actually. I mean, he did a lot of stuff. He turns up. Mm. But I was just like, If oh. you need a Chinese guy in Hollywood, there he is. Oh, you need him to look more like uh, Genghis Khan? Get the other guy. <laughs> the guy from Die Hard. <laughs> Get him. Those are the two. Mm. But I, do, I don't know. I just liked all of their all of his little scenes where he's kind of like speaking Chinese. Like he does like the in-flight. Yeah. The in-flight things in Chinese. Demonstrating the... <laughs> It was just like weirdly watchable and funny. Yeah, like blowing up the uh, life preserver and the, demonstrating the whistle and things. Yeah, and they just—it doesn't really come up. It doesn't. We don't really know why they're Chinese. It just doesn't play into some bigger conspiracy. It's just for some reason Peter Fox, just Peter Fox's contact for getting him a plane out of there, are some Chinese guys like, um, I don't know. They just have some like phony business they're doing and they run the. They're just part of the operation of guys you can rely on, I don't know. But at some point, Alan Arkin gets quite worked up and he has to get punched out, doesn't he? Yes! Oh yeah, he tries to open the, uh... He tries to open the plane door, doesn't he? When, I think, I think when he's informed that he's going to, like, a Caribbean island instead of... Um, was it Scranton? Scranton? Could be. Something like yeah, I mean, I wouldn't jump out of a plane at that point, but yeah, I'd be pretty fecked off. But I guess they just knock him out to save... Uh, he does have a panic, and then he gets one of the nice chops to the back of the neck. Classy. That's the way, that's the B.A. Baracus way to do it. Like, you got to knock... That's the thing, you've got to knock him out before, ideally. Or, you know, you have a Mr. T meltdown. Um, yeah, just, you should have given Alan Arkin a nice glass of milk. Say, oh, you're a dentist, you've got to keep, gotta keep your t- teeth tidy. Just drink this, and then uh, pop him in the plane, lads. Why I like do- there was a scene earlier on where he was brushing his teeth. It felt very in character. <laughs> well, very method. That's the dentist doing it, not the public. <laughs> they brush their teeth. What, why did why did uh, Vincent need uh, his brother in... Uh, why did he need this dentist along with him for the most, for most of this? So it wasn't compromised... And he couldn't necessarily leave him if he just let him go home, whatever. Those guys have seen him. Or he'd he like could be blab in danger to to the the rest of the CIA. He could both blab, and he's in danger from the two guys that have seen him already. So the best way to save him from danger is to directly bring him into further danger. I didn't say his logic was infallible. Well, it's not that he cares necessarily. It's just an odd. I I couldn't I couldn't fix I couldn't suss out like upon rewatching it. Going, so why is it you need him to come? Can't you just like you essentially just tie him up in a basement if you don't want him to go anywhere? <laughs> like I don't know. I, I mean, you don't want to do that to someone who's going to be in your family, I guess. Maybe he thought mm. of it as like a bonding experience. Like he, Peter Falk's character takes it pretty coolly. Like Vince is like, yeah, we're you know we're being chased in cars or 
potentially could die or be killed by these dangerous people or have a car uh, accident or a plane crash. But uh, it's fine. It's no big deal. And then so, you know, maybe he hopes it'll go a bit more easily. I don't know. But we, t- we, we have the whole touchdown and being shot at by three inept snipers. There's, I guess it's like... Oh, well, they, they, they shoot... There's a guy they're going to do a deal with, isn't it, on the runway, and they shoot mm-hmm. him after a brief hello. And oh, the, poor Jesus. Yeah, and they're sort of rolling about trying to get away from being shot at, and they do the whole serpentine getaway, which was amazing. I, I still I still just love Peter Falk running around, ducking down slightly, gesturing like a snake and going, serpentine! Oh, we all know what that means. Obviously, bullets can't hit you if you run into serpentine patterns. Unpredictable. <laughs> no I liked Shelley's little meltdown when they realised that the car keys were still in the guy's pocket who had died. And then Shelley was just like, I'll get them. No, you shouldn't do that. I can't be the one who stays here if you're dead. I can't face being alive here alone. And <laughs> just, he's like, no, I'd rather die than be left there alone. I did like that justification. Uh, I will rather, yeah, it's better to be shot and the problem is over than to be have you shot and I don't know how the fuck I'm going to get out of here or explain it to anyone or, yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. It was just a, a good excuse to get him to run back to the corpse and nick his key and get shot at some more. And serpentine some more. Serpentine! Yeah. But, next. They see the general. No, they don't. No, 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 no. Don't skip Not, ahead to that. No, oh, quite. no, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, they call Ed Bigley Jr. There's more. They've they got, they got like a hotel and a whole cabby chase scene thing. Okay. Yeah, I know you're itch I know why you're itching to get to the general. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a surprising uh revelation later on, yeah. But um yeah, we spent a bit of time like just uh in this like, you know, fake well, it's obviously a real place that they filmed, but like a fake sort of Caribbean I don't know, so sort of vaguely maybe it's like a Caribbean island, some sort of South American-y vibe place. But, like, you know, they basically go to a hotel, is it? And then are waiting to see what deal they can come up with instead. I guess this is the second... I don't know if Peter Falk was... Pl- I mean, it's kind of... Maybe they're still trying to deal with the same person or this guy that is dead is a middleman, but Peter Falk... Oh, that's it. No. Peter F- Vince talks on the phone with either the general himself or the general's representative and their cab ride is to get to the general and that's when all that bullshit happens. Yeah, because this is when Araki gets an attempt to say, like, phone home and explain things. Oh no, he phones yeah, he phones Egg Begley Jr., doesn't he? (laughs) Can I say it right? I said Egg Begley. Egg, Ed, Ed Begley Jr., Yes, Rich. I prefer Egg Begley. <laughs> yeah, they phone. He phones up like the U.S. Embassy, and for some reason gets the CIA. How do embassies work? You just go, "Hello, I'd like to speak to the CIA, please." Yes, we'll patch you straight through. Uh, but he basically said co- he coherently explains. This may sound mad, but the comedy premise of the film is this, and I am in this country. Please help me. And then. It's a bit confusing because, like, <laughs> so he basically says, oh, yeah, that guy's a nut job. We fired him from the CIA. Don't trust him. Don't go with him. Don't do anything with Vince. 
he's a maverick. And you go, well, that makes sense, because he's been behaving as such. And then Peter Falk, when he confronts him, is like, oh, well, they would say that. He basically has to rugby tackle Alan Arkin trying to run out the door and away from him twice to the ground. And then has to charm him back into believing him again by going, yeah, well, that's procedure, isn't it? You're the civilian phoning up the CIA. What else would they say other than I'm a maverick spy who's gone, like, I'm a loose cannon? <laughs> that's the protocol. <laughs> And then annoyingly, that is true at the end of the film, that he is in the mm. CIA, and that is supposedly the line. You go, fuck, 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 fuck off, film. You know? That's yeah. But then, that's the only thing it could have done, was that it was all true, if you know what I mean. He can't be a bad guy. He never shoots anyone mm. to death, does uh, Vince. He just, yeah, he can't. He can't be like, and you know, two things are going to happen. One, like Alan Ark is not going to die, <laughs> and B, the wedding's going to happen at the end of the film. Those are guarantees. Mm. You know, from the get go, it's going to go through a load, a load of mad shit, maybe some conspiracies along the way, but people are getting fucking married at the end of this film. Sure, there was no real surprise, but it is a bit like, what the fuck does? I mean, lots of this film doesn't make sense, but I was like, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> It was so close. It was so close to going back to insa- uh, back to sanity at this point. And then, when, of course, Peter Falk has to ride Alalark into the ground, <laughs> which is pretty good. And then the e like Alalarkin actually does manage to, uh, like Shelby does actually manage to convince Vince that, well, look, whether I believe you're crazy or not doesn't matter. I am an independent woman and I will stay where I want do what I want you can't drag me into this I'm a dentist I'll just wait at the hotel and then it's like oh yeah I guess you can because we never contrived a reason for you it's not like you're tattooed with an important thing it's not like you look like a famous person that you the general trusts nothing we don't actually need you <laughs> so you can stay I'm just gonna pop to the general and sell the thing now but oh no Shelby sees that there's some uh, some hitmen from possibly earlier. The guys at the airport are there with their guns in a car. So he pegs it and does a her- heroic jump onto a taxi cab that Peter Falk is leaving in. And then that proceeds into an insane <laughs> stunt car chase thing. It was the weirdest... I, I suppose you could call it a car chase. But what was happening? He was just kind of like going in circles over like and changing lanes constantly. It doesn't matter six or seven times. Oh, this is after you mean after Alan Arkin surfs on like he lands on top of the cab and mm. like screamingly holding onto the taxi sign while they crash into your classic sort of bins and fruit stands and stuff. And then I think they get under live fire, like oh, they're being shot at by these inept guys in the cab he's ditched. And then Peter Falk manages to get uh, Alan Arkin back in the cab and does the weird constantly donutting on like dual carriageways and reversing shit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was shit, that gas sequence. <laughs> I liked the f- the first bit where Alan Arkin is just screaming on the roof and Peter Falk in the cab, like, what the fuck? And then crashing through the streets and stuff. I think he, I think Peter Falkley even has to stop the cabbie shooting Alan Arkin off the bonnet or off the top of the roof or whatever. But then, yeah, just... Oh, we, we keep going in circles on the dual carriageway so they can't follow us. Okay, and then driving backwards. Ooh, actually scary. And if, then if it was real. the banana escape. 
I mean, guys, that's the thing. You could be underwhelmed, but then, <laughs> then <laughs> they shoot a banana truck, and all the bananas, for some reason, jump out the back of the banana truck and spill on the road for a big, the world's biggest slip on a banana joke ever. Classic. I think other highlights include driving round some pigs to get away. <laughs> that are cl- they're crossing the road. These things happen. I mean, that's a that's a trope, isn't it? Let the animals out across the road, and then villains can't just plow through the animals because that would be off. Thought. Imagine, imagine if a criminal actually did didn't care about animals and just bumped them out the way. <laughs> the most disgusting animal abuse you'd have to film ever. <laughs> It's like it's just cows or sheep going into your grill because you don't care. You're a fucking homicidal henchman maniac. Oh, but they always stop for the little animals. No, but you guys not rate the car sequence when it's doing donuts in the middle of the road and stuff. I it it was it fit with the absurdity of the film, but it was just a bit like what's what's going on. This isn't a car chase. Yeah, because it is mostly just Peter Falk reversing and going back into oncoming traffic and like, okay. I mean, it's just pratting around to get... It's like, uh, odd. It's, it's, it's a, sort of action-packed and funny. That's the thing. Is often uh, comedic are often quite like zany action. But it doesn't go crazy all the time <laughs> like uh, there's plenty of comedy and plenty of faffing around but I, I feel like I could have done with mo- I could have gone more like a kind of comedy Bond film and been more over the top like I get mm. like the banana joke like all the the banana truck spilling all of its load and slipping up the car but I don't know I would have wanted it to go a bit more mad 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 world you know go fucking yeah. go nuts like go you know take it really up, up a couple of notches because there is a lot of like Early on in the film, there's a lot of just, we're just in a dentist having an awkward conversation about relatives and, st- you know, oh, can you do me a favour? And, you know, <laughs> it takes its time to get there. And then when it gets there, you're like, more this and bigger. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt by the end of the film was like, yeah, you know, it was a, a silly film, but it wasn't quite silly enough. Like, right at the end, it just goes crazy. Um, which we'll get to mm. sooner or later. Um, I just wish there was more of that, you know, like like bits, like if there were more bits, like the um, the car spray bit, where it's like, okay, that's really silly, but you know, that's fine because it keeps happening all the time. If you know what I mean. Yeah, something like uh, airplane would really cram mm. in the jokes. I'm not saying this needs to have hundreds of visual puns and stupid gags but uh there's no point like because some of the time it's clinging to a genuine sense of tension especially because it opens with a fairly normal crime and then it becomes more conspiratorial and then after a while it just commits to oh these guys are dickheads and they're just having a laugh Mm. Um, i mean you know the main the main comedy of the film is just these two guys playing off each other which is very effective because they Always. both yeah they have chemistry don't they and they char- they're both charming comedy actors who seem to have a lot of fun winding each other up yeah. well and well Alan, mainly Alan, one Alan, way being wound up and Alan Arkin has the 
just the strangest delivery. Go on. I love it. I don't know. It's just, just, I can't, it's hard to explain, like, the way he just delivers some of these lines. It's like a it frustrated inflection. Like, just that, it's that slightly Jewish accent coming through with the huge, loud, aggressive, but, like, he's a timid-ish man. He's not a very, like, he, he jumps onto cars and stuff, but he's, he's a coward, essentially. But rightfully so. <laughs> and then, but he's also annoyed because this idiot man is convincing him to do stuff that he doesn't want to. Uh, so it's it's sort of a it's a sort of combination of of inflections of fury and confusion and uh, yeah, frustration. Yeah, Abby, I guess you could probably tee off the bit you were wanting to talk about. See, as we're pretty much at the point where they meet the general. So, the general is an eccentric man anyway, but it sort of reaches its peak when he starts talking to the little face drawn on his hand. Little Pepe, I think it was called. (laughs) Yes. And it extends to, he gives it like drinks of water where he pours jugs of water through his hand and they fall to the ground. And one of the first things he says to... Vince and Shelley, I think, is Senor Pepe. Senor Pepe, would you like to give them a kiss? You would? (laughs) And Shelley's face was just the best during the whole sequence when he's just staring absolutely mind-boggled. And the flag. Oh, the flag. Yeah. (laughs) And the paintings are pretty something as well paintings. The flag was him and a topless whore? Yes. Prost- uh, sex worker. <laughs> and it would Not be just, I mean, it, it, was, it, would... it was a flag uh, beautifully rendered painting or, or so, of, a, of, a, of a topless prostitute and the general next to some more conventional symbols and stuff that a flag could be. But yeah. And he actually wanted it as the national flag, but the church wouldn't let him. Yeah, I, I mean, i got to say, as far as flag design goes, it would have been a terrible flag because it's you need a flag that's easy to draw, simple colours. You can't just have... I mean, even if you okay the boobs on it, you go, well, there's, it takes a long time to draw this. Or, you know, it's not... E- it's recognisable, sure. But does it shrink down to a tiny size and is easy to understand... It, it it doesn't really pass the first rules of flag design, you know. Saying that, there's some elaborate flag flags that Mexico kind of break the rules a little bit with their overly elaborate, like bird on a rock killing a snake. Like what the fuck, guys? Just <laughs> pick three colours and put them in the right order, yeah. But you know, there, I mean, there's it's a, a eccentric flag design, to say the least. But the the hand thing is the best because, like, this is a you know you know generic foreign general, bit quirky, dictatory type, and mm. it's like hello, come in, and then as as they're stepping in, he's like, oh. <laughs> up comes his hand with this kind of lip with the lipstick on and the eyes drawn on his hand, lift, and that's it. That's all the puppet is, and he's just like out of fucking nowhere, just hello, I'm Cynthia Pepe. Oh, and then when he's kissing them, and they're just Peter Falk is just. Accepting it with a bemused, bemused face. Because right. he's, he's met him before, he knows him. 
they've had they've had one one night stand in the El uh, Senior Pepe. <laughs> Just one, <laughs> one night of passion together. Very uncomfortable the next morning when the general realises they've been together. But Shelley, poor Shelley. He doesn't know. He doesn't. He I doesn't means... know. Poor us. We just get this guy going, oh, like that bit, like literally from South Park. I guess South Park did it later. Where uh, Cartman has like, like fucking Jennifer Lopez or whoever drawn on his hand. And he's doing like, oh, I like tacos. It's literally that from this film. It's literally like, <laughs> hello, I want to, oh, I want some aqua. <laughs> it's like, he's, and he, has, he has an amazing jug as well. The water he pours into his hand is out of a fucking jug that looks like a seal. And then he's got the flag with the tits in the background. You're like, what is happening? Am I all right? Like, we've gone from stuff I expected, you know, smashing through uh, fruit carts with cars and a bit of comedy gunfire to there's a fucking mental case talking with his hand and like drink giving it water and making them talk to it and he also has a singing firing squad remember he does we also have the shit to, like the like peter falk gives him the head uh gives uh vince gives uh, oh god it's this switching between the names needlessly. Anyway, Peter Falk gives him the heads up about, oh, make sure you compliment his taste in paintings. Cause and don't talk about the scar. Yeah, that, that, that even matter, did it? That, don't talk about the fucking hand puppet would have been what I would have said. Just politely deal with the hand puppet when you're there. But, like, he... The, the paintings are kind of amazing because they're these uh, bold, illustrated... So, like I don't know, like there's tigers and sexy women, and what else does he have in this fucking painting? It's just really bold, like tasteless paintings, aren't they? Mm. And they, I kind of love them all. I kind of did kind of fall mm. in love. I agree that they are amazing and unique. <laughs> it's a little bit like what a tasteless drug lord might have, or mad dictator. But he, and then, as you say, Abby, there's a. I guess his firing squad do, do sing to them. Like they have a, there's a whole like he explains. Oh, I'm gonna take down uh, the finances of the world by printing my own money. Uh, I'm so glad you, you two American guys are here as I start the next phase of conquering the world and ruining Western society or something. And he's like really pleased with them, and he's giving them like a buffet and they're having like a big dinner. I think he even gives them medals what and stuff. And then the firing squad are singing. What songs do they sing? Do you guys remember? Mm, no. They were like deliberately not like. They were very Western songs, but they were like, we're not going to sing like your traditional choir songs. We're going to sing like pop songs. I can't quite remember. They were like oddly contrasting with the environment, weren't they? Yes? No? Maybe? They were. I don't know why my brain has done this, but rather than remember the original music, it's it's um, replaced it with a "Little Wishing Well" by Wet Wet Wet. Oh dear, that's... I I don't know what happened in my brain. They also would have had to jump forward in time to do that because it was. Probably... Yeah. It, it was good though, and it was like uh, it was an, this unusual guy and his weird setup, and then the gag being, "Well, I've given you these medals, but I am going to have to kill you with my firing squad now." And then it becomes Peter Falk and Alan Arkin both trying to not even just negotiate, beg for their lives, stall, 
Like, they basically ask for cigarettes and blindfolds, and they're trying to do anything to stall. Alan Arkin, because he thinks he's going to die. Peter Falk, because he perhaps knows if they hold out, they'll be rescued. And uh, in the nick of time, I mean, they really should have been shot the time it took Egg Bedley to turn up with the rest of the CIA. But uh, they burst down the, uh, I guess, the man- manor. The, they break into the location. Uh, the manor house or whatever, or the mansion or the grounds, and, you know, round up all the bad guys and arrest the general, and the general's trying to say, oh, no, they they took money from me, they took this much, like, they basically did get paid for the job. I don't know. So the guy paid them, and then gave them a nice time, and then was going to execute them because he can't trust them. Is that right? I guess he just picked the money off their corpses afterwards. Yeah, he wanted them to think everything was absolutely fine until they got executed. He also, he did try and swap clothes with that butler. Oh, yeah, he has wait, like a servant. The waiter, sorry, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't work, though. So it's short-lived. But, they, yeah, the CIA swoop in and save the day, and we kind of uh, just go, right, that's enough uh, messing around. And it's just uh, Vince and Shelby are basically trying not to mention the fact that they they got paid millions of dollars. And uh, they're just going to discreetly make their way back now that the proper CIA has turned up. And it uh, yeah, it just turns out, yeah, he is, uh, Vince is in the, in the CIA. And this is fine now. And the the day's all saved. And they get to, uh, the everyone at the wedding's all annoyed because they're not there. But they helicopter in last minute and they're there and they, they hand envelopes of shit, like a million dollars to their kids. And basically, you know, Everything's fine, and they have the wedding, and uh, even the, the two philharmonic in- orchestra, and yeah, well, they they're millionaires now, aren't they? But um, well, they think they were planning that anyway. But the the the, the Asian guys come back in a plane, don't they? This this is a happy wedding, and they they do a little flyby over the wedding, so we get them again. And I think the only other thing that happens really is is uh, Egg Begley turns up and makes them shit their pants because they think, oh fuck, he's on to us. The CIA are going to say, we know you stole some money from the crime that you committed. And it turns out he's just a bit miffed. He wasn't invited to the wedding. Oh, it's okay, guys. And they're going to give a, a poultry shitty check of, like, the CIA have given them, like, a savings voucher. But they've For got like millions. $50? Yeah, which is pretty, it was all right from some random at your wedding. Yeah, for, like, if, I lost, if she hadn't have just been given a million dollars... That'd be quite nice that someone who doesn't really know you, only knows your dad, gives you $50. That's quite nice. But no, they're millionaires. They scoff at that idea. But try and politely behave. But it's just like, literally, there's a wedding, hooray. And then you kind of go, what, are we going to get another? For, like, Is there going to be in-laws too, where they get up to further hijinks? In-laws, uh, what would happen? Someone else in the family gets married. What would you do, guys? A funeral? No, that would be too depressing. Mm. You know, you could have Thanksgiving, couldn't you? In-laws Thanksgiving, mm. you know. Or Christmas. Yeah. You get a Christmas film. Or Hanukkah, maybe. I think they would have, perhaps, if the dentist is Jewish. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. They didn't do any follow-ups. They remade this thing for some reason. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. It's all right. But yeah, it's, it, it's a weird... It wraps up like that. And you just go, okay... I guess that's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter that they committed crime, endangered people, possibly injured people. 
uh, broke endless traffic laws. We don't really understand why Peter Falk is allowed to be insubordinate like he was. I guess it's just it was all fine in the end. Does anyone understand why it was all allowed and legitimate and not a big problem that he gets dragged across the coals for? Because he's the best, damn it. Mm. Got that vibe to it that was the staple of the 60s through to the 80s where as long as the outcome was good, it did not matter what you did to get there. Yeah, who's going to complain? A bunch of foreigners. <laughs> We're not even going to bother with the paperwork. I don't know. It didn't cause that much damage to... It didn't ruin anyone's life. I mean, most of the time when there's gunfire, no one gives a fuck. New York or otherwise. It's just... Their damage is just, uh, you know... Art, it's just... What's the word? Um, when, it's, when it doesn't matter. It's only superficial. There we go. Their damage is fundamentally superficial, so I guess they can steal their money from a dictator and live happily ever after. Isn't it? Like, the the wife doesn't question it because I guess they have money, so it's like, oh, you're here in the helicopter, so I don't need an explanation. The CIA were only at my house all this time <laughs> and, have only, and have presumably only now just gone away. Mm. <laughs> well... I'm assuming that they did call ahead to an extent. Yeah, they had so... the travel time to say, oh, it's fine. It, the the money plate has been located. Look to the sky and you will see me coming home. <laughs> they didn't say that. They were surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's... What do you guys What do you guys think, then? I, I did enjoy it. Um... Like it's it's hard to go wrong. Like um, Alan Arkin and Peter Falk, um, their their chemistry together just ties the, the whole thing through all the way, all the way along. Um, and I just enjoyed watching them play off each other. Um, I did say before, like it's it's a wacky film, but I think it's not quite wacky enough. Um, I, I feel I. It felt like like when it went to the extremes. It felt like 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 an Adam Sandler film. Yeah, where you have bit. like we have like crazy like um, foreign stereotypes doing crazy things. Yeah. Um, and um, I just I don't I don't wish it was like an Adam Sandler film all the way through. Um, I just well, you wouldn't want they... Ro- you wouldn't want Rob Schneider to turn up as like a wacky general who talks to his hand. That would ruin it. Yeah, um, but uh, it for me like the the I didn't quite get onto the tone um, and the pace of it right from the beginning. It, it took up about about to the second third of the film until it was like coming along for me. But I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, I I agree with you mostly. It is it is all on the chemistry of these two guys. The fact that they're likable anyway, the fact that they bounce off each other and and make most of the scenes work despite the stupidity of it all, is uh, like a testament to how good they are. And you kind of can have any script if it's just them two. Like I think Alan Arkin has been in comedies that are like this that don't work so much because there isn't that chemistry with the other actors. I don't know. These two seem to get get on alright in a way that I mm. enjoyed. I think for me that the 
it was like it was okay and kind of weird. You didn't know what was going on, and then right at the end, it does all these fucking we- uh, like you. As soon as the hand, like Senor Pepe, comes out, you're like, okay, I genuinely couldn't have predicted it. Didn't know, mm. don't know what's happening now. <laughs> like that, that sold it to me. And this is a fucking odd film. And like it's funny, yeah. Like Adam Sandler is exactly the kind of person who does this sort of thing. And it's also he he has good films that are really fun and great, but he also does ones as like a. You could have tried harder or made this one feel shitter or full of more weird stereotypes and odd bits of comedy. So, I, yeah, definitely it's like a pre-Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler movie. I don't know mm. whether that's good or bad. But it, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I, don't, I couldn't really think of a metaphor, but the, the, the Senor Pepe thing, it is a bit like someone busting out a weird... Like, oh, I've got a person drawn on my hand and they just go straight into doing a weird voice and acting like a mental case. And then it's kind of funny, but it's also... It's either funny or really awful. <laughs> and mm. this at times is, like, really good and enjoyable. And then other times it's kind of like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. Why has this person got this thing on their hand? Why is this... What What am I experiencing? Oh, I'm back to being baffled and amused again. Like, you know, it's like if someone keeps doing that all evening, you're like, well, I can't explain this. And it's funny, but it's kind of shit as well. Please stop, please stop doing it. You, mm. I'm also a little scared, because you may kill me. <laughs> you know. Um, so I... I I would say it was it was a weird experience watching the in-laws, but not necessarily a problem. Like I did think overall, it's a comedy. It was funny. Job done. So, you know, it could have been better, but it 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 kept me amused. So I can't complain. Like a person drawing a puppet on their hand. I'm amused. It's <laughs> not sophisticated, but you got me. What about you, Abby? I think it's just, if they could have just evened that tone out across the board, I would, would have been in. Oh, and like the fact that it was sometimes quite a conspiratorial thriller, almost at the beginning. Mm. You yeah, could have, you the... could have gone, you could have actually made it into a serious film. I think if you take away the goofiness mm. and make it into a kind of spy thriller, where you don't, Alan Arkin doesn't quite know what he's embroiled in, it could work. Yeah, that's the thing. It was like. I think this isn't one of those films where I usually say, pick what you are, yeah? Where it can be a thriller comedy about this, but the out there jokes were so out there. And then some of the jokes were so subtle, or indeed there were just moments of like neutral to serious, that it, it was, I couldn't settle into a mode. Yeah, it never went fucking Jason Bourne on your ass, where you're fully enthralled and excited, and, and there's all those twists and turns and brutal action. It was nothing like that, but it, you know, it could have been a kind of cool thriller, and it, I, I'm glad it did go the funny way more often. It would have been a bit hmm. weird <laughs> to be just like a to try and convince you that there was a plausible thrill ride that could happen. Mm. So, uh, I mean, it's, that's not quite a metaphor. So, neither, neither of you technically gave a metaphor yet. Do you guys have any metaphor way to say it? Or, you know? Um, I've been trying to come up with one that is essentially. Oh, I don't know how to put it. Um, 
like you've been given like a really nice dessert and it's it's nice but there's a certain ingredient in there that you really like and you just wish there was more of it but you can't really complain about it or you'll be shot <laughs> or you'll be shot after the it's a really nice dessert but you're going to be killed afterwards so it sort of makes the whole experience a bit uncomfortable <laughs> so you, you know you'd up the sort of uh jelly and lose some of the cream or something like that you you want the ratios mm. differently <laughs> put I it Okay. Yeah, like maybe like a trifle. It's a trifle. But it's like the, I don't know, the blancmange layer is <laughs> not quite as thick as I'd like it to be. Could have had more peaches and mandarins in your, actually I'm not a pineapple guy. Like, I don't know. Mm. So the, the, an unbalanced trifle, but you could you could pretty much finish it anyway, right? But it's still, a, yeah, but it's still a, you know, pretty good trifle at the end of the day. He'll choke it down to be polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that's the thing. That's what. That's is. This is why it's a spoiler-filled film. Really, is we love that not quite good enough mediocre mm. middle ground of why did this go wrong? We love tonal problems on the show, and I felt like it's been. We've been doing some good films recently, and we've been doing some. Uh, I don't know. I think we just had a far, far too many. Like, oh, this film's quite good. I think it's underrated, or it's actually quite. You know, time. This was a proper so spoiler film. One. To, you decided to punish us. Not punish. <laughs> you guys enjoyed. This wasn't a chore. This wasn't one of Jamie's picks. Yeah. <laughs> this was like a proper. I don't know what the fuck this is, but I need to talk about it. <laughs> this is. I need therapy to get over fucking Senior Pepe. <laughs> Out of nowhere. I think I have You do. And most people, when they say something was a roller coaster, they mean it in an emotional sense. But when I'm using it for this, I mean it in a very narrative sense, where it's like you're clicking along, then you suddenly go down, then you're sort of on a straight bit, then there's suddenly a loop-de-loop. And it's that feeling of... Disorientation, and if you take out the excitement and the fear, so not the actual emotional elements, and just the sort of physical phenomena of being on a roller coaster, that's how I think it applies to the narrative of this film. It also has that start where it's just a slow build to the top, where you don't realise, you know, you don't know, you haven't got scared mm. yet, you're just cranking up. Okay, what's mm-hmm. this? Here we go. I mean, you know you're going on the roller coaster. You know what's coming, but you just okay. Just a little, and then it's like oh, over the brow, and then way we're dicking around now. This giant fucking fruit fly stealing children and <laughs> fucking hiding money plates and shooting at dentists and bananas and mad dictators. So it would also explain the bit where the car was just going round and round and round for a couple of minutes. Yeah, there's the monotonous bit of the roller coaster where you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's the queue. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, yeah, so you know we're gonna go now on a honeymoon and leave our in-laws to all meet each other. Can you imagine a day out where all of our like in-laws just oh. hang out together? Uh, the, my lad, God. the lads, the lads, <laughs> probably be fine. Just to drink tea and make our conversation. <laughs> No, there's no none of our family members have that right. I'm gonna all light you and bring you on a, a mad trip. They'll probably just end up talking about cars or something. Anyway, 
we're off. Good day. Catch us another time for another chat about another film. Um, we are now going through a divorce, listener. Please fill in the paperwork so we don't have to... I don't think I made enough sense of the start of the intro to make an outro of it now. So I apologise. What the fuck? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> like the most confused. Just say goodbye, you prick. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.